We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on 2 Peter. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. Well, I've entitled our message today, Understanding False Teachers and Their Destructive Illusions. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 22. We've been working through the book of 2 Peter for some time now. Peter has been trying to draw us a clear picture for what a false teacher, a phony Christian, looks like. Now these false teachers, we need to be reminded, don't have to be in the pulpit. They can be in the pew. He is wanting to make sure that we are protecting one another against the false teachings and the false teachers and the phony Christians that will arise in the last of the last days. He is protecting us like any good watchman would. He's wanting to make sure also that we are who we really claim to be because if the enemy can convince someone that they are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ when they are really not, he has won. And so he wants us to evaluate our own lives. There in chapter 1, verse 10, if you recall, we see Peter reminding us of this from the very beginning. As he says, make sure that you be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. Peter has given you and me many places to check ourselves and those whom teach us each and every day. This week we'll see Peter continuing that form of teaching against the fake Christian or false believers or the false teachers. Now by way of outline, we've been working through understanding false teachers. Number one, chapter two, verses one to three, they're destructive heresies. Chapter two, verses four to ten, they're destructive judgments. In chapter two, ten to sixteen, they're destructive characteristics. And I want us to begin today by looking at their destructive promises. Today, Peter is going to make it clear that these false teachers will make fake promises. They will bring about a false illusion. And they, while they claim to be reliable, in reality, they are unreliable. They promise freedom when in reality, all they can offer you is bondage. On the outside, they look great. But inwardly they are empty, void of a relationship with Christ. And those who are true in the faith can spot them. Or we should be able to spot them. If you will, let us read this morning together from 2 Peter chapter 2, 17-22. He begins in verse 17, These are springs of without water, and mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, these who barely escape from the ones whom live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption." For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For, af for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallow 
in the mire. Peter starts off right off the bat jumping back again into these false teachers. He's not happy with these folks. Though they have crept in unnoticed, they are called reefs, if you remember that, hide just below the surface of the water. There are a few points I want to take from this passage of Scripture today that I believe will help us understand the false promises and the false teachers of our day. The first thing I want us to see is we see false teachers in their illusions in their person. We see false teachers, secondly, teachers' illusions in their promises. We see, thirdly, false teachers' illusions in their position. Now, why do I say illusions? What is an illusion? Well, the Webster Dictionary states that an illusion is an action of deception. Promising one thing, yet delivering another. An illusion is a perception of something objectively existing in such a way as to cause a misinterpretation of its actual nature. Modern Illustrations of illusions may be alcohol equals happiness. You ever seen a beer commercial with crashed cars and dead bodies? Mourning mothers and fathers at the loss of their child? No, it's always shown with joy and happiness and freedom. It's an illusion. Maybe a sinful lifestyle equals happiness. Maybe it's that racism is a skin issue rather than the reality of a sin issue. Sin can bring you joy. Nope. John Owens, I think it was him that said, sin will be killing you or you will be killing sin. Maybe a visual representation is this, illusion, or this, great artistry, isn't it? But nevertheless, it is simply an illusion. These false teachers of our day have a special illusion about them, and Peter is not going to let them slip unnoticed. And neither should we. He wants us to be aware of what's going on. And so let's begin by looking at the fact we see false teachers' illusions in their person. They are not as that they appear. He says in verse 17, These are springs without water and mitts driven by a storm from whom the black darkness has been reserved. Peter begins with these. And really, if we go back to Second uh, Peter and, and look at chapter 1, he's dealing with the Christian growth. But notice how he ends chapter 1 when he says, but know this first of all, that verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And then notice how he starts chapter 2. But. So, so he's really going to contrast those true and faithful and against those false, fake, phonies. But the false prophets also arose among the people, just as will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. And so he is referring back to these false teachers that he has contrasted, that he's been really dealing with in the last full chapter. Peter says they are springs without water. They are dried up. They look promising from afar, but when you get close and you get to know them and you look down in them, they are empty, dry wells that offer you nothing. But from afar, they seem good. They seem satisfying. 
what he's trying to communicate is they may look like great people. They may even seem like they can offer you something refreshing. But really, they are empty and cannot refresh anything. A matter of fact, they disappoint. They promise water, but they are dried up, empty wells inside. I can't help but think about the woman at the well. That's why I ask for John 4, 7 to be read. Verses 7 to 14, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For His disciple had gone away to the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to Him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? They didn't speak to the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, the Jews would go around Samaria, but not Jesus. He is Almighty God in flesh and He's out for a greater purpose, and he meets this Samaritan woman at the well, and he breaks all of the cultural norms. For the Jews, it says, had no dealing with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Can you imagine this woman? Almighty God in flesh, Jesus Christ, standing before her. And she has no clue who it is. And here He has all authority. He has the ability to give her everlasting life. She said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well? And drink of it himself and his sons and his cattle? A matter of fact, lady, yes, he is greater than Jacob. A matter of fact, Colossians reminds us that God created all things. And so, yes, Jesus created Jacob and her. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. You see, the water that Jesus offers is a living water. He he is not an empty well. He, He doesn't give you empty promises. He doesn't give you false illusions. And what is pretty cool here also is that it isn't on the surface when you read it in the English, but the fact that the drink that is offered first says where He says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, is found in the present active form. That means the drinking is ongoing. It's in the present active form. It has no knowledge of when it will stop. And so if the water that you will drink and get you thirsty again, you'll have to drink again. But Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water that I will give shall never thirst again. That word there, drink is found in the aorist tense. It's a one-time drink. Listen, this is the beauty of the Greek. It just brightens up the text. When you accept Christ, when you drink from the living water, the well of the Lord Jesus Christ, once you are saved, always you are saved. It's a beauty. You don't have to keep going back. You see, these false teachers of Second Peter of our day will offer you water to drink, and it will taste good for a season, but you will be thirsty because it's only illusion. They are like dry wells or streams that have stopped running. But Christ, the truth, the, the true teacher, gives life that springs up to eternal life. 
want something refreshing, you won't get it from the phonies. Listen, we live in a modern day world that offers you all kind of illusions. As a matter of fact, the devil will promote to you all kind of illusions. He will tell you whatever it is you are going through, it's impossible. But what did Jesus do when He faced the devil? He gave him the Word of God. Well, it says in Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Maybe you're here this morning and the devil has whispered in your ear, no one cares for you. But John 3.16 reminds us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That was for you. That whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Maybe you're here today and you say, I can't do it. It's impossible. Philippians 4.16 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe the devil has whispered in your ear and now you find yourself fearful. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God does not give you a spirit of fear, but of love. And discipline. Maybe you come today and you're worried. Maybe Satan has whispered you an illusion of worry. And 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Maybe you come today and you're feeling alone. And Hebrews 13.5 says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. And maybe you come this morning and you, like me and like so many, have had a rough past. Maybe you've had some pretty bad sins in your life. Maybe you've been a pretty rebellious young person or even an old person. And you say, there's no way that God could forgive me. Uh, I'm unforgivable. 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, the, the enemy will elude you with his illusions. He, he will promise you things that are not true, but God's Word will always protect, will always provide. These false teachers will offer the things of the world where you will expect to be refreshed, but instead you will be disappointed. Because no matter what a man owns, they will always want just a little bit more. It's never enough. They offer you water, but their springs have stopped producing. You see, people today are looking so very hard for happiness. They're looking so very hard for love for joy, for peace, for acceptance. But they're looking for them from wells that have run dry. When in reality, those desires can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can offer you a true joy. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with God, can He offer you real love? Can He offer you real peace? A peace that so passes all understanding that will what? Guard your heart and your mind in what? In empty, dry wells. No, in Jesus Christ. These false teachers will offer you religion in place of a relationship. They will say, do this and do that. Be baptized. Check this off of your list. Check that off of your list. Look more like me. Sing the songs like I like to sing. Listen, these will offer you cash instead of Christ. Prosperity rather than peace. They will offer you the material things of this world. Go for that promotion. Sacrifice your family. Sacrifice your children on the platform of material possessions and success. They will convince you that unless you dress like the world, you will not be accepted. While all the more Christ 
has a man or a woman picked out for you. Listen, the world will sell you short on your purity, young people. You better protect yourself and your integrity because I promise you we live in a culture that wants to strip you of your purity. And if you come this morning, you've already been stripped of your purity. I want you to know this. There is a God in heaven who will forgive you. Who will offer you peace and joy even though you may have not lived a life that has honored the Lord Jesus Christ. But it will not come from these false teachers whom offer you something that they can't give. Remember, their promises are void. Dry wells without water. Illusions and false promises. Your beauty will fade. Your money will run out. Your religion will let you be weary. But, Jesus says, if you drink the water of life, you will have refreshment. You will never thirst again. a matter of fact, when the Holy Spirit saves you and He comes to take up residence in you, He gives you the fruit of the Spirit. He gives you love, peace, patience, joy. He gives you all of those things that the world will offer you that can truly only be found in Christ. We live in a fallen world that will leave you broken. And without Christ, you will walk as crippled. Listen, you will find that peace and that joy, that acceptance of Ephesians 2.10, where it says we are the workmanship of Christ. <laughs> we need biblical self-esteem in our day. You will find that only, that peace, that contentment that comes from knowing Christ personally. Have you trusted in Christ personally today? Have you put your faith in the one true God? But the false teachers, verse 17, they, these are springs without water, mist driven by storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Not only will they offer you water, they can't produce. They are like rain clouds that, that bring hope, but yet fail to produce water. Their teaching will look good. They will get you excited. But they are like mist driven by storms. Just imagine living in the Middle East in a desert climate. You're in desperate need of water. Your crops need water. Your animals need water. Maybe you don't understand what that place looks like. I lived once in Montana that throughout the year it was snowy, but when it melted, it became dry dry, dry, and we prayed for rain. Why? Because if the rains never came, and if there wasn't enough snow, things would dry up, and every year the fires would break out. And so you watch the news and all these great forest fires, and all we do is pray for rain. And so when you see the cloud coming, and you're like, oh, it's going to rain, and it comes and it comes, but it only brings a mist and then disappears. It offers you nothing. These are mist driven by storm. This is the picture that Peter is drawing here. They are empty. And remember how this second Peter parallels Jude. If you look at Jude, he says they are clouds without water. Now I'm not a farmer, but I'm sure Don needs water for his farm. But these people are clouds without water. And a cloud without water is worthless to the man that needs rain. We are the souls that need the living water of Jesus Christ. And though these men seem to offer good things and their personalities and maybe their messages are even pleasing, they are clouds without waters. They're empty teachers. They give you nothing. It's like a rat chasing a piece of cheese that he'll never catch. And you just keep running and running and running and trying to grab that which is not even feasibly possible. You'll just grow tired. These are empty teachers, like driven storms. So are their doctrine of these men. They will change based off the culture. 
They will give you messages to keep their jobs, to draw crowds. But in reality, it's emptiness. It's emptiness. And today, across America, there will be men and women that will leave their churches empty. They will leave themselves and they will be hungry for the truth of God's Word. But because they're teachers or false teachers, some want that. I mean, Scripture reminds us that, that it talks about it, that there will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will do what? They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will turn away from the truth and to do what? They will buy myths. Reality is that they will be plain lost. While some know it, they think they're going to change the church. But all the while they are drawing people to these false teachers. And they are buying into it. And they get stuck and they can't find their way out. Listen, these are springs of water without... With, these are springs without water, mist driven by storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved... This book from start has not failed to hold back the teachings on what would happen to these false teachers in reality. Oh, they, they, they will get what they have coming. Just here in chapter 2, there's like six places. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 9, verse 12, verse 14, verse 17. All these places fail not to express where these people, listen, will spend eternity. There is a risk for following these folks. They may have an illusion in their own personalities, but they have no lack of false teaching. They understand the destination for which they will find themselves in the end of the last days. They matter of fact, the text says they have a place of reservation because of their illusion. Listen, we all have reservations when we go on vacation. We had a reservation for dinner Friday night. We, we wanted to make sure we had a table. Well, listen, the, the false teachers have a reservation. They, they have a table for which they will sit at. Verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensualities, these who will barely escape from the ones who live in error. So we go from the picture of these false teachers to the judgments of these false teachers, now back to the picture of these false teachers. And so we see here, again, as we looked last week, these false teachers are enticing. They have some kind of amazing illusion. They have some kind of lure that they are using to, to bring some kind of success in attracting their prey. A good question for us to ask is what are those lures? If we're going to understand the false teachers and how they lure us, because that would be wise in understanding the enemy and his approach and how he attacks. It says they do it by speaking arrogant words of vanity. They make promises that are not true and that they can't keep. That they flower up the speech. They speak about exciting ideas, yet reject the reality of its vanity. They talk in a way that draws people in. But it's all an illusion. Paul, one of the smartest men that is known in all of the Bible, felt that he didn't need to fancy up his words. As a matter of fact, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1-5, And when they came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to what? Know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And in my message, my preaching, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of Almighty God. Listen, this is a true teacher of the Word of God. 
teaching not their own wisdom, man's methods, seeking the material things of this world, but leaning rather on the power of Almighty God and His Word. For it is His Word that He gives us. He speaks to us in these days. But here Peter is telling us that these false teachers come with different motives. They come rather with arrogant speech. Prideful. Narcissistic. You could say inflated words. Boastful words. But they are empty and they lack wisdom. That's not only bait that they have in their tackle box. A good fisherman always has many lures because the fish may not bite on the first try. It also says they entice by fleshly desire, by sensualities, those who barely escape the ones who live in error. They get you all wrapped up in the things of this world but have no eternal value. They give you what you want to hear. They tickle your ears. They teach false doctrine. And the words are driven by the lust of the flesh. Now I know when we think of the word flesh or lust, we many times think about sexual things, but nevertheless, lust can be the lust of material things. It can be lust for pride. It can be lust after uh, uh, power and authority. It can be lust after numbers, right? I could preach a message that's more palatable to the world so that we could fill a room full of people because that would make and feed my power and my pride, wouldn't it? Nevertheless, they will teach you Many things that will lead you astray. They, they know not the things of the Spirit, so they teach you health, wealth, and prosperity. They don't teach you sin. They don't teach you hell, and they don't teach you judgment. They won't touch it. Why? Because they know it's not pleasing to the ears of man. And so they'll lure people in by teaching things that entice the flesh. They'll get you focused on everything else that is not eternal. But what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul? They will teach you that it's okay to have sexual sin in your life. As long as it don't hurt anybody else. Well, let me remind you this. It always hurts somebody because the wages of sin is death. It is always death. They will tell you it's okay to live together if you're not married. That's okay. No problem. They would say it's okay for you to teach that all religions lead to the same God. They will write good books on how to commercialize the church. Five steps to your best life now. Listen, I hope this isn't our best life. <laughs> I mean, if heaven isn't our, is not going to be our best life, then what do we have? Why in the world would I want my best life right now? It will teach you how to sell Christ to attract people. It's by these very methods that phonies go after. They go after those who barely escape. The ones who live in error. These are, are like the new Christians and when they have the opportunity to go after them, they say it's just barely escaped. The pagans and they prayed on them. And I'm always reminded, and I tell my kids because they're young believers, test every word that is spoken. Be a Berean. Search the Scriptures. Test every spirit. Because they are looking for an opportunity to strike, especially those who are young in the faith. You know, one of the things I noticed at this kids camp and I was talking to Pastor Dave who is the owner of Grace or yeah Camp Grace and he says what's scary Stuart is we can tell these kids whatever we want and they believe it listen there is a world that's telling these kids a lot of fake things who are trying to invade their brains we need to go tell these kids about Jesus Christ about the true life giver. We've seen the teachers' illusions in their persons, but also, secondly, we see false teachers' illusions in their promises. 
They will make you big promises and they will fail to produce. They will make you think they are full of living water while they're empty wells and they're simply dry streams like this. Peter says that these false teachers, while they are promising 19, verse 19, them freedom, while themselves are slaves of corruption, for what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. Boy, we could stop right there and preach an entire sermon. What is it that you are enslaved to this morning? See, everybody has different sin. Everybody has different temptations. Everybody else has different struggles. My struggles may not be your struggles, and your struggles may not be my struggles. They may be, and we can encourage one another as they are, but if I have a struggle that you don't have, it's hard for you to get it. And it could be something as a slave to food. Maybe you're a slave to the drink. Maybe you're a slave to the almighty dollar. Maybe you're enslaved to your image. And you try to make yourself look like something God didn't create you to be so that you can grab the attention of someone else. What is it that you were enslaved to today? Is it media? Is it television? Is it social media? Is it the thing that's happening in our world today? The political arena? The government arena? What is it that is enslaved? It needs to be Christ. All those things are important. All those things are necessities. But the reality is we must look at those things through the lens of God's living and active Word that tells us how to deal with them and to put them in the proper priority. These men promised them freedom. Now what's interesting here is the false teachers, Christians will offer you freedom. They will promise you freedom. It sounds good. It even sometimes looks good. But remember, it's only an illusion. I mean, how can you save somebody when you're like this? In bondage yourself. Bound up. I mean, who thinks this man could do much good to help anyone? At least physically. He can't set you free because he's not free himself. They promise you freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. They are slaves of fleshly lust, verse 10. They reject authority, verse 10. They have been trained in greed, verse 14. Their eyes are full of adultery, verse 14. They love the ways of unrighteousness, verse 15. How can they promise you freedom when they are bound up still in sin? It's an illusion. The Word says that freedom comes from Christ alone. So if the Son makes you free, what? You are free indeed. They are bogus. They make confessions of faith, but have no profession of faith. Again, they know the plan of salvation, but fail to know the man of salvation. We have the illusion of these phonies in their person and in their promise. And lastly, we see these false teachers' illusions in their position. They want you to think they're Christians. You know, if you ever have had an encounter with a Mormon, they will tell you, oh, we believe the same thing. We believe in Jesus. Don't you believe in Jesus? No, I believe in Jesus. Same Jesus. The problem is, it's a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus whom claimed to be God in flesh. It's not the Jesus that First John or, or John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not the same Jesus that we find in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, that says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. And then He says, I was dead, but I'm alive, and I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Oh, we don't worship the same Jesus. They want you to think they're Christians, but clearly they are not. Peter has made it clear that they are of fleshly nature. They are like the unreasoning animals. But here we see an illusion within their position. They look like 
Christians, but inwardly they are empty. Verse 20, For if they had escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and, and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Listen, although these people had escaped the pollutions of the world, they had returned again back to its lust. They had been overcome by its power, power and yet entangled again in the delights that the world offers. The gospel in, in which they initially confessed Jesus as Lord has now been renounced. What's happening? I mean, the Lord and Savior that they, quote, had embraced, they now have rejected. And the world they have escaped from has now recaptured them once again. Their victory has been reversed, and now they've become a victim. Now some will say here, see, they lose their salvation, pastor. That's not what it's saying here. Listen, they heard the truth. They liked the truth. The truth even affected them. But in verse 15 it says they turned away from the truth. And listen, there is a time in which the Lord Jesus Christ can in your sin turn you over to a depraved mind for those that have never been born again from above. Listen, you hear that knocking and knocking over and over again on the heart of your life and you keep rejecting the truth, the call of the Holy Spirit, and you maintain that false Christian status, then what makes a person believe that you can be one that is saved? Listen, you can be given over to the reservations for darkness like these men. Because these are false teachers and they have a place reserved, marked out. Why? Because they've rejected the Spirit of God. The last state has become worse than the first. They got so close, they even tasted it. They even enjoyed it. Maybe they worshiped together with us. They got so close. But now, the last state has become worse than the first. Some of the hardest people to witness to, and if you ever share your faith, you'll encounter this, are those that walked in the church, that grew up in the church. They had good Christian parents who took them to church every Sunday. They listened to the worship. They sang to the worship. They even maybe lifted their hands. They even maybe walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. But they never really trusted in Christ. They never believed the gospel. And so they were never truly regenerated. They were never really born again. They were never really justified. They were never really declared right before Almighty God. Their sins had never really been washed away. Why? Because they failed to believe the gospel. Maybe they prayed a prayer a few times. And later in life they walked away. Well, in 1 John 2.19 it says they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's one thing to pray a prayer. It's one thing to know certain facts about Jesus. It's another thing to believe in Christ and receive Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Because when you, you are born again, listen, the Bible says, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things have what? You put in the closet, just hung out? No, they have passed away. And behold, the new have come. You see, we, we like to get in old stuff and drive it around every now and again, don't we? We value that in our day. Old cars, and those are beautiful things. It's not so beautiful, though, when we act like the old us. And we start living our lives like the old us. Because there's no treasure in that. There's no intrinsic value in that. 
We are dead to that. That is gone. And behold, the new has come. And that's why it says in Hebrews 12, 14, without sanctification, no one will see the kingdom of God. There must be active, progressive sanctification for which you are becoming more like Christ. So when you speak words that are, that are vulgar, right? Where is that coming from? That is not a created new being who knows that the, the bad words that you speak are a dishonor to Almighty God. It's a sanctification process. But it's a process nevertheless. And if there is no process, then you're not alive. You're still dead and you're sinned and separated. Listen, the time that you've been given today to respond to the gospel is important. Time is the key in determining whether a person has truly been born again. You know, as a pastor, you know how many times I've heard so-and-so prayed to receive Christ? Like three, four, five times, same person. Walk out of the door and two or three days later back living a life like they were before they were Christian. Listen, if there is no change in your life, nothing has happened in your heart. Because the Bible says he who began a good work will see it to completion. God's not a liar. He doesn't do a work in you and then fail at his job of progressively sanctifying you. No, it's a work of God in your life. If you claim to be of the faith and you leave out from the people of God and live a lifestyle of sin and fail to return, listen, you were never really of the Lord. Because again, God doesn't make mistakes. He has given you regeneration as a Christian. He's given you life. He, he's taken you from the power of Satan. This is what he told Paul on the road to Damascus. You're going to tell them, lead them, tell them about the power of God. They will receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith in Christ and they will turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. He who began a good work will complete it until the end. Regeneration is not an outfit like a sports coat that you put on and take off and you put on and you take off. I'm dead, I'm alive, I'm dead, I'm alive, I'm dead, I'm alive. I sin today, I'm dead. No, no, no. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And when God sees you as a born again believer, He sees you as His Son. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Remember the old saying is, this is you staying separated, enemy with God. This is Christ. God sent Him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that when you become, He sees you. No, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. Because He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. But that doesn't give you the, the ability to just continue to walk in sin. So that grace may abound. No, may, Paul says, may it never be. Peter even goes as far as to say in verse 21, for it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness. Hell may just be a little hotter than to known it and to turn away from the holy commandment handed down to them. Listen, to whom much is given, much is expected. Guys, we have so many tools to know, to study, to learn the Word of God. And we sometimes just shuck it off like it's a, a good novel. Oh, you know, I didn't read it this week. I, I haven't read it in two weeks. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to bet some of you haven't cracked your Bible in a month, to two months, to three months, maybe even six months. And you just trusted what you've been fed by somebody else. But how do you know what you're eating is right if you ain't feeding on it? Didn't the Holy Spirit come to take up residence in you? Didn't He tell you that He will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age? Both of those things are true. But how can you know the Word of God if you don't read the Word of God? I'm always astounded by this reality. God has given us His Word. And we have so much responsibility to grow in it, 
and to proclaim it. And as I look across this room, I see many people who are doing that. Who use every platform they have to share the hope of Christ. And we ought to rejoice because of that. But some may be sitting here and they're thinking, ah, you know, I'm, I'm too old for this. No, you're not. Your grandkids need you. Your great-grandchildren need to hear the Word of God. Tell them some Bible stories. Tell them how much Jesus loves them. Tell them how much you're praying for them. Maybe you're like me and you graduated with a high school with a 1.7. And you're like, who am I? I can't even pronounce words properly most of the time. So I create my own. It should have been called the Guthrie Dictionary instead of the Webster. I just create own words. I remember telling God, "Who me? Are you, are you kidding me? Pastor? Me? See, there's an illusion that the enemy will creep into you and tell you that you aren't good enough. No, listen. You are called to be a student of the Word of God. And I am what I am by the grace of God. And I know more than what I'm designed to be. And my desire isn't to be somebody to you that I'm not. My desire is to be Stuart Guthrie, created in the image of God, for the glory of God. Somebody asked me, how's the church doing? I said, it's doing great. How are the numbers? There's just enough to give an account for on Judgment Day. We'd not get wrapped up in numbers. It's not about the breadth. It's about the depth. So let's don't turn away from the holy word that's been handed down to us. You have the Bible in your own language. Go do some research on how many unreached people groups there are. It will blow your mind. I remember when I was at Columbia International University and Whitcliffe came in and did a study and they showed how many unreached people groups they were and they had it on a scroll and they began to roll it out in the sanctuary. And if you've ever been to the CIU, the sanctuary is really big and they began to roll this thing out and it was numbers like four or five wide stacked and just rolled all the way to the end of the room. That don't even have the Word of God in their own language and yet we have it in like 20 different translations. You can get it in a surfer's translation. You can get a camouflage Bible that's got some like hillbilly redneck stuff in it. You can get the ESV, the NASB, the NIV, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the now the Legacy Standard Bible. The, you, it, to whom much is given, much is expected. You see, these people have been given over to a depraved mind. They had been given the truth over and over. They knew the truth. They rejected the gospel. And when God sets up a reservation for that person in hell, nothing says that He will draw you again to Himself. So, so if God is knocking on your heart today, don't, don't delay. Respond. Nothing says He will continue to do that. I mean, the Bible is true. It says no one seeks after God. No, not one. Therefore, when God seeks after you, respond. Now, I don't pray that anyone here ever falls into that kind of rejection from the Lord. But these false teachers here did. And we are all sinful. And we need to make sure that we do not fail to remember every day to ask the Lord's forgiveness so that we can continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Another thing we can learn here is that when you feel the Lord is leading us to believe in Him, you shouldn't reject the holy call of God, but rather respond. The last verse, verse 22 as it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. That's disgusting. And a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. 
Listen, if you're a dog owner, you've watched your dog go over and start eating it again. Now, maybe you've never seen that. I have. It's sick. Just like a pig can get all cleaned up. I don't know who cleans pigs, but I guess somebody cleans pigs. Let them loose, he goes and wallows back in the mud. I, I, I compare it to my dog, Dallas. He's hairy, and so we shave him with the sheep shears because he's too furry not to do any with any other clippers, and we get him all washed up and clean. He smells so good, and the first thing he does is run right to the marsh in the pluff mud. Comes back just black. It's like these false teachers. Listen, Jesus is so good. His Word is so comforting. It's challenging. It's piercing to the heart. But for those who in Christ, it's comforting. The joy found in Jesus is incredible. And no matter the circumstances, no matter what the enemy brings your way, you can stand positively encouraged because we know for those who are in Christ, we've won the battle. Cancer may come your way. You won if you're in Christ. Nothing compares even to this momentary light affliction that we live in this fallen world. Listen, these false teachers offer you destructive promises, false illusions. But don't buy into it. You can fix them up on the outside, but inside there is a sinful nature, not a spiritual nature. Today you can receive a spiritual nature if you would simply call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the Bible says you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. This is bad news. Because our sin, Isaiah 59, 2 says, have, have made a separation between us and God. Young people, listen. The Bible says in Psalm 51, 5, we were born into sin. We were born separated from God. And we need to get back to God because if we are found this way, the Bible says we will step into eternity separated from God. But God seeing our inability, seeing that we can't be good enough to get to God. A matter of fact, the word sin means to miss the mark. And the reality is, is when Jesus sees our inability to be perfect for which He calls us to, He says, I will make a way for all humanity to make it back to me, but it's only through Jesus Christ. So He takes the initiative to reestablish this broken relationship with mankind. God demonstrates His own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ becomes the access by which we can become right with God. And He can take our sin upon Himself. And God can judge Him as if He had personally committed your sin. And the question is today, will you be saved? Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? That He is able to make you right before God. Because when you do, It will be the best day of the rest of your life. Stop letting the world offer you that which only God can provide. And another big thing in our day is stop looking on earth for what is only available in heaven. And start preaching the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you can stand against the false teachers of the day that are on their rise. And you can say, not today, Satan. Let's pray. Hey, thanks for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through Second Peter. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. 
For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us. God bless and have a great week.